It's 837, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I can tell right away that today's show is just going to be off the rails for the entire three and a half hours. Our WTMJ text line and my email is exploding with people's suggestions as to what you call the man or woman that you're dating when you kind of reach my, my point in life. And we're in a serious relationship. And like I say, boyfriend and girlfriend, it describes it, but it sounds kind of high school. Significant other strikes me as being PC. I, I don't know. So we're just uh, admirer. No, that's it. Sweetheart. Well, that's true. Special companion. I don't know. It's I, we're, we're, we're wrestling with these terms, but our, our text line is exploding with that as well as um, um, last night. I want to say a very special thank you. Um, I was the MC at the annual Armed Forces Week dinner um, put on in downtown Milwaukee. Um, I've, I've done this for a number of years. Um, just sold out crowd at the um, at the Wisconsin Club. Congressman Mike Gallagher was one of the featured speakers. It was, it was just an amazing an amazing evening and um, I want to say a very special thank you to everybody for the generosity. Actually, the organizer sends me a note says, I wish Fran would have told us last night you had a big birthday today. We would have all celebrated. No, that's, I, didn't, I didn't, didn't, didn't need that one. Didn't need that one at all. Okay, we start off today like we start off every day with three big things, things I think you need to know about to discuss at the water cooler, at the gym, whatever. Let, let's be honest. There is one overriding story. Now, let me back into this. I have tried to take what I consider to be a nuanced approach towards President Trump. If you were listening during the course of the campaign, you know that I, I wasn't a Trump guy, but I wasn't a Hillary Clinton guy either. And I, I'm not sorry that President Trump won. I have tried since he has been elected to separate style from substance. And by that I mean, uh, okay, I, the, the, the style, the kind of flying off the handle, the what I think sort of the kind of crazy tweets that come out at 5 in the morning, that type of stuff is style versus substance. You know, are, are we, you know, do we do the right thing in saying to Syria, hey, you know, we're, you're, there's a line that you cannot cross? Did, you know, are we doing the right thing by trying to, you know, reform health care before it crashes and burns? I mean, those are the types of things that, I mean, I, I want to see done, substance versus style. I acknowledge, though, that the style sometimes gets in the way of the substance. And to the extent that anybody believes polls nowadays, you know, one of the things that you are, are seeing is that Trump's approval rating on policy is higher than his personal approval rating on things like honesty and stuff like that. And that's, as I was discussing yesterday, if, if the American people don't believe you are honest, it's that, that a credibility gap, that's what dooms presidencies. It's what's doomed Richard Nick, one of the many things that doomed Nixon's presidency. It doomed Lyndon Johnson's presidency when people did not believe you. Okay, so here is the story yesterday, and let us put it in perspective. The Washington Post reports yesterday afternoon that Donald Trump, President Trump, discussed extremely classified intelligence information with the Russian foreign minister and the ambassador. This information apparently um, suggested that he shared facts that the government had obtained information indicating that ISIS had plans to um, essentially engage in terrorism as part of uh, cyber attacks and airline safety. And I don't know what this information was, but the reports are it was very, very detailed. It was very, very specific. The information had apparently not been shared with any of our allies. 
And the nature of this information is such that apparently by disclosing it, it indicates or could indicate where it came from, thereby potentially compromising the, the source. Okay, so that's that's the background. Highly, highly classified information. Um, again, dealing with plans to use laptop computers as weapons, all those different things. So the allegation is that President Trump shared this information with, again, the Russian foreign minister and the Russian ambassador. Now, the backdrop is that this is... This isn't Great Britain. This is this is Russia. <laughs> All right. So what's going on now? You've got these investigations into whether Russia tried to influence our elections. You've got questions that, you know, what was there collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia? You've got Russia, which has certainly been saber rattling when it comes to things like in Syria and all. And so the question becomes, what the hell would the president be doing sharing this kind, and excuse my language, but that's what it is, with this kind of information with Russia, of all people, before the the various allies. Now, initially, um, Trump operatives came out and denied that this had occurred. They denied the story. This is not true. The Washington Post has it wrong, et cetera, et cetera. Well, after the, these, again, the Trump, some of the Trump surrogates come out and deny that this happened, you know, President Trump sends out a, a tweet. And um, the tweet says, as president, I wanted to share with Russia at an openly scheduled White House meeting, which I have the absolute right to do, facts pertaining to terrorism and airline flight safety, humanitarian reasons, plus I want Russia to greatly step up their fight against ISIS and terrorism. So, first of all, there's surrogates out there saying this didn't happen, and then you've got President Trump sending out a tweet, which I think any reasonable person would interpret to be, yeah, I, (laughs) I, I did. And this was the, the reason, you know, why I did it. I wanted to share this information. Now, let us be clear about the law. If anybody else had done this, it would be a felony because, you know, sharing classified information, leaking the classified information is a crime, except that law does not apply to the president. The president has essentially an absolute right to do whatever he sees fit with classified information. So it's not anybody else. If I'm an intelligence analyst working with this data and I were to do that, I would be in handcuffs and behind bars. The president, thats he's, he's exempt from this particular law. So he gets to do what he wants to do. He says, I was trying to enlist Russia. I wanted to share this information. I want to get them on board with our, our war against terrorism. So if I did it, I have the right to do it, and this is why I did it, even though he hasn't specifically said he did it. But I think that that's a fair takeaway from this tweet. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. President says he has a right to do it. He did not commit a crime if, in fact, this happened. Here's what I want to discuss. If the president did this, would you support that decision, or do you think – He's out of his mind. <laughs> I don't know how to how to say it any other way. I will tell you where I come down on this, but I would like to discuss it. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us be clear. It is not a crime. I do not. It's not an impeachable offense. It is a decision that the president, assuming it happened, made to share classified information with Russia. 
um, information that had not been shared with our allies and information that apparently was so confidential that by sharing it, you disclose perhaps where it comes from and then perhaps compromise those intelligence sources. So if Donald Trump did this, was it the right decision or are you just shaking your head? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We will discuss, and I'll tell you where I come down on this if you haven't figured it out yet. Hey, it's 849. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let's start with Bob on the east side. Bob, good morning. You're first. How are you? I'm good. What do you think? Well, I, I think it's another example of Donald Trump being a child president. He... he had this information could he technically have given it to them sure i guess do you think there's any chance on earth that he ran it by a security professional or the nsa or the cia or anybody that was involved in gathering the intelligence no of course not <laughs> no of course i don't not. no he's buffoonish he has this information and like a, an eight-year-old he wants to show it to his friends on the playground he has an affinity for russia he is so ignorant of <clears throat> history that he's not picked up on the fact that Russia is an enemy of ours. And uh, as you know, Jeff, from your law enforcement experience, this is kind of like compromising a confidential informant. If you get a confidential informant, or in this case, the person who gathered the intelligence, and give that to someone who we can't trust, that person could be killed, that entity could be exposed. Well, well at, the very least, it makes, at the very least, it makes it less likely that the confidential informant in your example wants to cooperate later on if you're not going to keep them confidential or and that's that's my understanding not having access to the information myself what what my understanding is that the 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 way this is presented and the nature of the information is such that it's easy to tell from where you know where it came from and trace it back so it does compromise the source there's no question about it right and if you're the ally let's say it's you know for example germany or japan whoever gathered the intelligence or maybe even worse or better depending on your perspective a middle eastern ally of ours or israel whoever gathered the intelligence and has infiltrated that organization you're you're not going to trust donald trump you're not going to trust the united states and you're not going to share that kind of information in the future and to just pass it off in the oval office as kind of a you know it's almost like if you look at the photos of him and the russian foreign minister it was like they're in a bar they're hanging out they're having a great time they're laughing yeah. they're yucking it up they're slapping each other in the back and, oh by the way look what i have it's ridiculous yeah i I, I, I want to tell you and, and about i i think it's, i have tried to be and I, I will continue to try to be nuanced with, with regard to this because i think it's important to separate style and substance but I, I do think you're right if this in fact happened and i interpret the tweet that he sent out as meaning that it did in fact happen I'm thinking of all yeah, – again, these decisions when it comes to classified information, I'm carrying on yesterday about how appalling I think it was that uh, Bradley slash Chelsea Manning's you know, sentence for leaking confidential information was commuted by Obama. So you know, she – he only served a couple years and was released – is scheduled to be released on Wednesday. And, and I, I do think you're right. I don't think this was a conscious decision – made with contemplation let's talk to nsa let's talk to our security advisors and and we think this information is important to share with russia because we need their help in trying to identify people or we need them to be able to look i don't get the sense that that was what this was i get the sense that this was again in in this conversation 414-799-1620 and you know i, I mean russia of all of all entities you're sharing it with with russia Dale in Waterford. Dale, good morning. You're in 620 WTMJ. 
Good morning. Hi, Dale. Hi, good morning. Hey, um, do you really think he's that stupid? I've been hearing about laptops being used as bombs for about yeah. two weeks now on the news. Right. Uh, this, I don't think that this is any more of a buffoonish uh, move than it was for Obama to say, yeah, we're, uh, we're going to bomb you in three days from now. Let's see, actually uh, 71 hours. Yeah. Well, I guess the question, though, would be, and, and I mean, you and I, we, neither you or I know exactly what the information was, but it does appear Perfect. that this was more than just, hey, terrorists are trying to use, you know, laptops. I, I get the sense that this was some detailed type of specific information beyond just the headlines. If it was that, would it be appropriate to share it with Russia? It depends upon what extent mm-hmm. it is. And like you said, nobody really knows. Right. Now, also, do you think that maybe he's trying to suck up to Russia a little bit, giving them little scraps here and there to say, let's work on this together, but I'm not going to give you too much, but I'm going to throw, throw you a little yeah. morsel here, just yeah. maybe so you can trust me. Yeah, and, uh, I, and then we'll go from there. Right, and, I, and I, again, and I think that's, I mean, that I, and I, I appreciate that it's difficult to have the conversation without knowing exactly what the information was that was disclosed because right the, the idea that ISIS is trying to okay would like to you know, try to figure out how to use computers as, as bombs or you know threaten airline security that that's no secret i mean we we've known we we've known that at least the terrorist groups were trying to do that since september 11 2001 my sense is though that this is this is different than that that this is specific and detailed and that it was extremely confidential, confidential to the point that, at least so far, the government had made the decision that they were not going to share the information with our allies. And, and that's one of the other things. I mean, if, you, if you're Great Britain or you're France or, you know, you're other people, entities in NATO, for example, and, and you've been instrumental and you've been, you know, you're, you're investing resources in the battle against terrorism, and then you, you find out if it's true that the, the U.S. apparently doesn't believe that you are trustworthy enough to receive this information, but that the president is sharing it with Russians. I, I just I, I don't know what the motivation could be. Do I think it is important to have a good relationship with Russia? I, I do. I mean, they are another superpower in the world. Do I think it is in their interest to try to bring them around and get them to cooperate in the war on terrorism? Of course I do. No question about that at all. I just wonder if this was some thought-out plan. We're going to whistle the ambassador in. You know, we're going to share this detailed information because we think Russian planes might be targeted, for example. You know, and we think it's important that they know that. And you make that decision. Well, then I, I understand it. But I don't get the sense that that's what happened. I get the sense that this was just kind of casual conversation. Let's talk to Bob and Franklin. Bob, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, Bob. I, I, you know... <laughs> He, he absolutely never ceases to amaze me. I think that uh, he, he has tweeted uh, some some type of an admission that he did it. That's uh, how I interpret it. Yeah, <laughs> that he that he can do it. Uh, you know, a wise man frequently says, "Just because it's your right to do something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do." Yeah, and phrase, and yeah. then he sends General McMaster out to to say that he was there, and it absolutely didn't happen. I, 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 you know that's that is the thing. If 
if I mean, I don't know if it happened or not, but yeah, you, you have one of your closest advisors goes out, issues this denial, and then 12 hours later, you cut him off at the knees. <laughs> there's just no there's no way you can interpret it otherwise by sending out this tweet saying, well, I have every right to do this. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a head scratcher, huh? So, no, th- thanks for the call. I mean, it's just, uh, do I think we have compromised national security with this? No, I, 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 and so I don't want to overplay this. But at the same time, given everything that is going on and given investigations that are conducted, see, I don't think there's any question that Russia tried to play around and tried to mess around with the results of our last election. I don't believe there's going to be any evidence showing there was collusion with the Trump campaign. But nevertheless, you've got this foreign power that tried to monkey around and did monkey around with our election. Whether it changed the outcome or not, I'll let smarter people than me try to decide. But it is kind of like, Mr. President, you know, of all the different countries that you can just, in asides, share this really confidential information with, why in God's green earth would you pick Russia? All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, big thing number two. All right, it's my birthday, so we're going to tackle the big issues. We're going to talk about health care. More and more people are saying single payer is the way to go. It's 910, Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. One final thought on the, the decision by the president to apparently share classified information with the Russian ambassador and the Russian foreign minister. A a number of people who want to defend the president are texting me or emailing me, and they're they're saying, well, it's, you know, this is, it's important to do these type of things to try to build trust trust with the Russians, and if we have information that indicates that uh, there, there might be this terrorist attempt to try to bring down a Russian commercial airline or something, we have a moral obligation to share it. And I don't I don't disagree with that, but I don't get the sense that this was some sort of considered decision. I don't get the sense that, hey, there was this meeting where you have all these different heads of intelligence agencies and they come together and they say, you know, we really need to provide this information to Russia because we're concerned that some passenger airline is going to get brought down because we didn't share this information apparently with any of our other allies. I think it's not so much just the information being shared, but it's the process by way this happens, that there wasn't any sort of consideration that this is just, you know, President Trump in the Oval Office kind of erping up what, hey, I, I've got this information and sharing it. That's what the problem to me is. It's, it's the process as much as anything. If this was, hey, we've got to tell you because something really bad is going to happen and we need you to be looking out for it, okay. But I don't think that's what happened. And if I'm sitting in Great Britain or I'm in France or I'm in any of our our other major allies, I'm going, what the heck is going on here? And that, to me, is, is probably just the biggest issue. Once again, the whole process of how this stuff is handled. All right, big story number two. A growing push for single-payer health care. Back in 2010, when Obamacare was passed, they estimated that there were only maybe a handful of people in the U.S. Senate who would have voted for a single-payer system. Now, at more and more of these town halls, that's what people are chanting. We want single-payer. Now, let me explain the, the various things that you have. In In some countries, you have socialized medicine. The doctors work for the government. 
there are not private doctors essentially you know all the health care the medical the medical staff the doctors they are employees of the government and that's how people get get their health care you you pay taxes or whatever but but you go in and the hospitals all the medicine is government run there is the u.s system where most people not all but most people get their insurance through the private insurance market. In this country, the vast majority of people get their insurance through their employers. Their employers offer them health insurance, The at least up until Obamacare, but now still to an extent. The different plans that and the different, co- different plans are offered. They provide different levels of coverage. They cover different things. There's different deductibles, all that stuff. People pick and choose which they want. That's where most people get their insurance nowadays through employers. Now, Obamacare hasn't hasn't changed that, although it has mandated that insurance plans that get offered have to offer all these things that weren't necessarily included before. All these other types of coverage. You gotta, you know, you gotta allow people to keep their, their kids on their insurance policies till they're 26. You have to offer this type of coverage. You have to offer coverage for birth control. So you, you don't have the ability to pick and choose, um, under the law. But most people still get their insurance through private employers. The costs have gone up in part because costs are going up in general, but also because the, these insurers are required to offer, under the, under Obamacare, offer more and more services. And individual choice has been taken down. But most people still get their insurance through their private employers. The exception are people who work for the government um, or people who are on Medicare. So if you're over, what, 65? Is that the qualification now? If you're over 65... You get your insurance, or at least the bulk of your insurance, because there's all the Medicare supplements you need. Medicare doesn't cover everything. But Medicare is a single-payer system. A single-payer system is where the doctors, the healthcare networks, they're still private, unlike in the socialized medicine thing. But the government is the insurance company. You know, you file your claims with, with Medicare for the main Medicare type of coverage. It's the government that handles all the claims, and you know you pay money to the, the government. Well, what a lot of people now are arguing should happen is we should do away with the private insurance system that we have, and we should go to a single-payer system for everybody. So doctors and hospitals, the, the private networks, they would still be private, but you wouldn't have private insurance companies anymore. It would be the government that handles all the different claims, and we would pay our money to the government, and the government would have one of these one-size-fits-all insurance plans, like Medicare would be, and the government would decide how much you know, who's entitled to certain services and how much, you know, should be paid to doctors for these. But everybody would be covered under this single-payer type of system. Most of the estimates are, even by the liberal ones, is that if you went to a single-payer system, um, it would cost um, about $3 trillion a year, about 
$3 trillion a year. And it would result in a staggering increase in taxes to cover everybody the same way. But everybody would be covered. And the argument is, well, if Medicare works for people over 65, why shouldn't why shouldn't it work for people who are 25? Why shouldn't it work for 35? Why do we have this private system where people pick and choose? Why not just have the government take care of everything? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this is coming up because, like I say, more and more of these town halls, the argument that is being made, particularly by the left, is forget about, forget about Obamacare. Forget about, you know, Republican plans. Let's just, if it's good enough for Canada, it's good enough for us. Let's go to single payer. Everybody gets covered. Isn't that the way to go? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I were 30 years old, and I'm not, but if I were 30 years old, this would scare the heck out of me. But if Medicare is good enough for people who are 65, should the equivalent of this be good enough for anybody? Is it time to go to a single-payer system? I say no, but we'll discuss. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 918. 920, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is fascinating because back when Obamacare was implemented, only Bernie Sanders, of all people, says 10%, 10 votes at most in the U.S. Senate for single-payer. Now, at these town halls, people are saying single-payer, which is essentially, if it's good enough for people over 65, Medicare for all. The estimates are to do this would cost probably an extra $3 trillion a year. So you would be talking about massive tax increases. But in exchange for that, people... Pretty much everybody would have universal coverage, maybe not as good coverage as you have now, but universal coverage. Is this the way to go? 414-799-1620 is a number. Gene in Menominee Falls. Gene, you're first. Good morning. Morning. Um, I, my comment is that 17 years ago, our daughter was diagnosed with leukemia, and we spent uh, about nine months at Children's Hospital, and during that time, I met numerous families that had brought their children from Canada to the United States for treatment right. because their children would have died before they could get the proper treatment in Canada. Right, because so, of because of the delays and yeah. again, yeah. if if you're on if, if you're under the one size fits all approach, you've got the government, which is then going to sort of dictate what the appropriate treatment is. And um, right, there's no question there are, there are shortages, especially for that, which is why a lot of really wealthy people in Canada come to the United States if they get seriously ill and pay for it out of pocket. Right, which is what these families thought they needed to do um, because they had to wait so long or right. there were, you know, for whatever. But, you know, it just, right. that really stuck in my head. And I, whether or not, you know, that was a long time ago, I don't know whether this, Oh, well, I think you know, it still is. Work. I mean, you still hear the, the stories about people with, like, the, the cat, what I'm going to call the catastrophic type of situations who don't mm-hmm. want to wait six or eight months to have a procedure right. done. And so or what they do is, right, right, or can't wait. Right. So they come to the United please. States and they pay for it. Right. There, people, right. People who have money would still presumably be trying to find some place 
to go because they, they don't want to wait six or eight months. Thanks well, for calling. With money, uh, we have options. Right. Uh, how, uh, by the right. way, how, how is your daughter? Is your daughter doing great. okay? Oh, that's great. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for the call. 414-799-1620. Um, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to go to single payer? Let's talk to uh, Chris in Waukesha. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi, Chris. So that was a very compelling argument <laughs> for um, private insurance. Right. We kind of had the opposite situation, although it wasn't life-threatening. Um, my son was born 15 years ago um, deaf, and after researching and getting all the information we needed, we thought cochlear implants were the way mm-hmm. to go for him. My husband and I both worked for the same employer, and... Um, Cochlear implants were excluded from coverage. Right. Um, so what we ended up doing is my husband looked around for another job and um, right. <laughs> had to find an employer that covered cochlear implants, which is super awkward at uh, a job right. interview. But right. he did. He was able to do that. Um, and so we've always worried, you know, like right. if there's a job change, we always right. look for that coverage. Right. I don't know if single payer is the answer, but... Obviously, we're a bit worried when our son reaches the age of sure. having to cover himself with insurance. Because you're let me let me just just use your example. Um, let's say let's say you go to single payer, where the, the government is going to talk about what the government's going to set what's covered or not. Just right. for the sake of argument, let's assume the government decides cochlear impact implants weren't covered for this particular situation. This this well, is not something. Then you're really out of luck, you know. <laughs> right. Um, so. From just being online, what I've discovered is mm-hmm. cochlear implants are pretty much mandated for all the single-peer right. um, plans sure. out there, but I believe Australia was having an issue with getting um, right. two cochlear implants covered right. at one time. I don't know if it passed or not. Right, and I guess I, I was I was just kind of using that as an example. No, I mean, I know. You know, like, right. like, let's say, okay, you need... You 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 decide your son needs procedure Y for for whatever condition and procedure Y isn't covered under the single payer system right. at, at least yeah thanks that's that, that's my only point because the government is going to decide what procedures are covered what procedures are are not covered and it is going to be this one size fits all approach let me take a quick break we're going to continue this conversation because th- th- this is where the healthcare debate is really going. Because I will tell you, if, if this Republican o- Obamacare is going to crash and burn because there's not enough private insurers participating, that is the reality. If something like the Republican plan does not pass, the, the, the next step is going to be single payer. Do we really want that? We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 926. This is Jeff Wagner. <laughs> Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, help us complete the memorial to a local military legend as we continue our WTMJ Cares initiative with a special radiothon beginning on my program, 830 this Friday. It's your chance to contribute to our goal of completing the new memorial from Medal of Honor recipient Lance Sijon at Mitchell International Airport. Keep listening all this week for more details about Friday's radiothon and learn more about Lance Sijon, his story and the lasting legacy by clicking on WTMJ Cares and the link at WTMJ.com. Tell you what, we're going to continue this conversation um, this is the discussion. The, the, if if we do not have reform of Obamacare and it's not 
some fashion, like the Republicans have passed, it seems to me that inevitably we're going to be leaning towards a single-payer system, which is essentially Medicare for all. That's what a lot of people want. I think that's what a lot of people wanted back when Obamacare was passed. Now more and more people seem to be coming around to that. Are we at that point in this country? If you are on the line, please hold on. I promise we will have the discussion continue. Nine thirty-four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Okay, now um, what they're looking at is potentially a single-payer system for us, like in uh, like in Canada. Uh, one of our listeners sent me that this list. This is the most recent wait times for for treatment um, in Canada. What they say is right now uh, there is a median wait of twenty weeks for medically necessary treatments and procedures. 20 weeks to, in order to have procedures done if you are in Canada. 20 weeks. Um, and then if you have something more specialized, the wait for neurosurgery, 47 weeks. Um, orthopedic surgery, 38 weeks. Ophthalmology, eyes, 28 and a half weeks. Plastic surgery, 26 weeks. And it, it goes on and on. So um, let's see. Uh, gynecology, this would be a procedure, 18.8 weeks. Urology, 16.2 weeks. So you've got a bladder infection and you need some procedure done, 16.2 weeks. Radiation oncology, 4.1 weeks. General surgery, 12 weeks. Can you imagine you, you go in and you need a medical procedure, you need surgery, and you're told, come back in three months. Huh. 414-799-1620. Uh, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, let's go to Ralph in Oconomowoc. Ralph, good morning. Thanks for waiting. Hi, Jeff. Can Hi, you hear me all right? I can. Okay, great. Hey, you're doing a great job on the WTMJ radio talk show. Thank morning. you. I really enjoy it. Really Thank you. You're a man of discerning taste, my friend. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, in my first career, I was an owner in a healthcare management company. So we did utilization review, quality assurance. We manage networks right. on behalf of business coalitions and insurance companies. And uh, the cost started to go down because of the way the, the services were being managed from a cost-effective quality assurance standpoint. Right. Uh, I've been on Medicare for about six years, and I have uh, uh, United Healthcare is the insurer that manages my care. And I'm no expert in terms of uh, the future of a single-payer plan, but I have had no issues with United Healthcare being on Medicare. And recently, I've had some eye issues, and I saw my optometrist, and I'm going to be seeing an eye surgeon in two weeks for cataract surgery. Right. So there was no wait whatsoever. Uh, so my point I think I'm making here is if Medicare is working for... The uh, United States people who are on Social Security and Medicare, and there does not seem to be that issue of weight. The networks are huge. I can almost go to any doctor. Most of them are right. all in the networks. So I'm not having an issue with Medicare. If that could work for the general population who are not on Medicare, to me... Uh, well, I guess, see, that, but Ralph, that, that raises the question, though, that... Medicare is still only a small portion of of the overall health market. 
if you were to extend that to to everybody, um, do you think it would work a- as well? And that's why, like, that's why, like, I point to Canada, and you're talking about incredible wait times for different services because everybody is under that system, not just a, a relatively small number of people who are right now are on Medicare. And 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 I agree with you. I think that would have to be analyzed from right. the standpoint of is there going to be that Canadian socialized medicine uh, wait list because what's happening is people are coming to the United yep. States to get the surgery and paying for it out of their supplement plan or paying right. for it personally. So right. I, I, I have concerns along those lines, but all I'm really pointing out right now is to say, Right, yeah, you're happy with Medicare. No, and, and thanks, and I, I understand. And that's see, that's the argument. And the argument is, if it's good enough for senior citizens, why isn't it good enough for everybody? My concern is that what we're doing now—it's one thing when you have a portion, and still a relatively small portion of the overall market—that you have the, the, essentially the single payer type of thing, where the government the government operates as the ultimate insurer and you still have the private companies and the private private administrators and things like that. If you expand it to everybody, does it work the same? Um, I have an email from you know one of our listeners who said, I did a comparison a couple of years ago between Canadian healthcare and U.S. healthcare. I vaguely recall their average doctor was paid $60,000 per year. And uh, talk about doctor shortage, doctors were leaving the country at an alarming rate because they they wanted to make more money um which i have no doubt goes on and it's one of the things that leads to the delays in in service that you get 4147991620 that is the accident mortgage talk and text line let's talk to uh let's see dan in green bay dan you're on 620 wtmj good morning hey jeff hi dan Jeff, I got a couple of things I can tell you here. Uh, for one thing, from Green Bay here, we got five hospitals, clinics all over the place, like McDonald's restaurants. Right. Uh, and for the doctor issue, we got nurse practitioners all over the place. Okay. Okay. And in regards to a single pair, I'm all for it 100 percent. And I also wish that they would open up the VA hospitals to turn around and compete. In other words. These hospitals, where I can go to one and get a MRI or a CAT scan for mm-hmm. $1,200, and the next one's going to charge me $3,200. Yep. yep. So there's basically, there's so There's no transparency. Costs. Yeah, there, there's no transparency. See, see, I guess, thanks for see, but I'm not sure that that, I agree with you. I think part of the problem with the healthcare discussion when we talk about rising costs is, is you can focus on insurance and what's op- offered, but you also... If you don't look at the other part of the equation, the the rising health care costs, you you, you kind of miss the boat. To me, it's it's both things that have to be considered. And I understand how frustrating it is. And actually, I thought the point you were going to make when you were talking about all these hospitals is why do you need – and look, I I appreciate – you know, all these different hospitals. But you, you look at all these different medical clinics and you look at all these hospitals and everybody's got the latest and the greatest and there's all these fancy hospitals. And I, I look, I, 
as somebody who unfortunately over the last year or two spent more time in hospitals and and medical clinic waiting rooms than I ever thought I would do. I mean, you appreciate the nice amenities and all, but at some point in time, you know, where you've got all the different healthcare networks and healthcare providers and everybody's building hospitals and the hospitals are all within a few, you know, miles of each other because everybody wants to corner a particular market. There's no question that drives up costs as well. And I also agree with you when you're talking about transparency. To me, it's not necessarily an argument, though, for single payer. But I, I agree. You you shop around. For, for most stuff, we shop around for things. If we are going to – you're going to buy a car, all right? You just – you, you, you know how much the car is. That's one of the things. Let's say you want to buy a, a Honda CRV. All right, that's what you're looking for, a Ford Escape or, or whatever. You, you're, you do your research. You find out, okay, this is what the ballpark is. Then you probably go around to a couple dealers and you kind of price it out. And, and you know what you know what the car is going to cost and you make that decision. In healthcare, we don't do that. I mean, you, you don't get this list up front of, hey, you need this particular surgery or you need this particular procedure or you need this and you know we're going to charge you X amount of dollars and somebody else is going to charge X amount. And I, for the life of me, this in-network stuff and this out-of-network stuff, and I, I would... You know, when, when I when I was dealing with uh, again my my late wife's catastrophic illnesses, I, I get these, and and I was very very fortunate. Our insurance was my insurance was tremendous. It was absolutely tremendous. But you'd get these these bills that were almost indecipherable for you know major cancer treatment that you get every two weeks, and there'd be all this list of things, and there'd be one number. This is what the this is what they were charging, and then there was the in network charge that was you know forty percent of and it was just and it just. And, of course, none of it you knew up front. I mean, I just, in our case, you know, we satisfy the deductible. So as long as you're in network, you're probably not going to be paying anything. But no transparency to this at all. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Aaron in Watertown. Aaron, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Happy 60th birthday. Thank you very much. It's a zero-year birthday. I'm, I'm actually okay with this. 30 was hard for me, but otherwise, 40, 50, and now 60, I'm okay. But thank you. <laughs> Um, my husband's a physical therapist, and we used to own our own outpatient physical therapy. And I am for single payer because I would see patients who, because uh, I worked with my husband, patients who couldn't pay their co-pays or meet their deductibles. So let's say they had a rotator cuff tear, and that's a major surgery and a major rehab. So they'd put it off and put it off and put it off until they could no longer stand the pain. They couldn't work. They couldn't sleep. And what happens, too, with a rotator cuff, a lot of times you can get a frozen mm-hmm. shoulder because of not using the arm. So what's the difference? So they waited six, seven, eight, nine, ten months, a year before they had surgery because they couldn't afford it. Or if we had single payer and they had to wait anyway, then at least maybe that patient would go, if we had single payer, would go in and get on the list to get the surgery mm-hmm. instead of putting the surgery off. Okay, um, are you willing, but here's, okay. see, in order to, in order to make single payer work, there would have to be massive tax increases to, to again to pay for these procedures. I mean, like I say, they're estimating an extra three trillion dollars. That, depending on how you do the math, actually, one of my listeners did. One of the listeners did the math. Said that would that assuming everybody would pay equally, that would add an extra eight hundred dollars a month to to everybody's. Everybody would have to essentially pay that that extra money in to get to $3 trillion. And, of course, you know there's a lot of people that won't be paying that money. Um, can we afford that? Would people be willing to pay all that money? I think right now we pay, what do we pay, $600 a month? Yeah, but this would be on top of that. This would be on top of 
it, well, but look at what they're paying. You know, everybody's going to get hit with something. Mm-hmm. As my husband and I have said this, and as we age, we do get hit with something. Look at the cost of some of these surgeries. Oh, yeah. $30,000, $50,000. The other thing I'd like to go after is the insurance companies, because we had 23 different contracts when we had our business. And I'd laugh because people would say to me, okay, what's it going to cost for an initial evaluation? You know what? It doesn't matter. I could tell you it's a million dollars. Because it doesn't matter because it has to go through the insurance company. And so we might have a contract with Dean Care, and Dean Care might just pay us X amount of dollars. Right. And United Healthcare only pays us X amount of dollars. So it doesn't matter what they say up front, you know, what the surgery is going to be, what the physical therapy is going to be, because it has to go through the uh, contractual system with the insurance companies. And that needs, the insurance companies need to get together. This is ridiculous how. You can only get paid maybe forty dollars from this company, one hundred fifty from this company for the same treatment. Well, one of the things they're finding, uh, and it's interesting, cause you, you said your husband's a physical therapist. Yes. Okay. One of the things that they are finding in Canada is with these various controls that the doctors, presumably the physical therapists, because you have the government that is controlling all this. Typically, one of the ways that they control costs is that they lower they lower the payments. So the income for the people in the medical field is a lot lower. I mean, are you willing to eat that? It is right now because, yes, you get to do the write-offs, you know, from the contractual, you know, um, from the contracts with insurance companies. But what you're getting paid up front is is minimum. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I I I just, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, like, again, if, if the average doctor's salary in Canada is sixty grand, my guess is the average doctor in the United States, off the top of my head, makes a lot more than sixty grand. That yeah. would kind of be my average. Do you think the doctors would be willing to have their income cut in half or cut in a third to, to support this system? But things are changing too, because now doctors are are being paid on how many patients they see a day, mm-hmm. and I think. I think some of the joy is being taken out of being in the medical profession. Oh. It's becoming more productivity than oh. patient-based. I, I, you know, it, I, I went in, for, I mean, I, I get annual checkups, and I go in every six months just to have, you know, stuff monitored and stuff like that, because as we get older, you do that. Right. And it, it is always interesting, because every time I go in, we, we spend five or ten minutes just going through this checklist, you know, um, where, where the doc, you know, you can just tell he's, he's reading off this list of things that he has to ask and questions that he just has to ask about because that that's all that's the required type of stuff now you know i have a good doctor and he's also talks to me about things but we always spend those five minutes is he asking me all these different questions it's no 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 but he's got to do it well and the other the third thing i wanted to bring up too is that you're right that people don't shop around for medical um when your doctor says you need to go have physical therapy here or you need to have your cat scan here or your mri we are like robots and we go okay our doctor said this and we'll right. go here and they don't realize that, you yep. know, and I know it because I'm in the medical field. Check. You can have your lab work done somewhere else, and it's going to be way cheaper. You can right. have your MRI done somewhere. It's going to be way cheaper. But we, I, right. it's embarrassing that we, uh, we. Right, and you figure insurance, no, and you figure insurance, if, if let, let's say, okay, in a situation like mine, where you have, you have very good insurance that you get through your employer, and, and you don't care. Okay, so, you know, right. it, it, I don't, there's no incentive for me to shop around because, right. My deductible. Thanks for my my deductible is going to be my my deductible. Um, let's see. Pat writes Medicare and Medi- Medicare and Medicaid Medicare and Medicare Advantage do not cover the cost of providing care. They work, 
because they are subsidized by the commercially insured population. We as a country and as health providers need to provide valued care that is high quality and cost effective in a way that people can afford. Single payer systems have to ration care just as you were referring to in Canada. Let's take a break. It's 950. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 9.53, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. The idea of a minor league ballpark in Franklin has been in the headlines for quite some time. Will it ever come to fruition? A major sticking point to that answer might finally be resolved this week. Scafidi and Bill Stat share the details, 12.35 this afternoon. I, I know I, I, some of my colleagues here at TMJ disagree with me. I, I continue to think that this is going to be a boondoggle along the lines of the uh, Milwaukee streetcar, which we will, by the way, be talking about in just a couple minutes. That last segment that, that we did, I did something I almost never do, which is I, I actually devoted you know two half-hour segments to it. The reason I did it is because I think this is so important, and I wanted to try to have an intelligent conversation about this where you know people get to express themselves because this Obamacare cannot be sustained. That that's just the reality because insurers aren't making enough money and they are dropping out of the exchanges. So this debate that we have about comparing the Republican reform plan to Obamacare, that's a false that's a false dichotomy because Obamacare can't exist in its present form as insurers back out. Something needs to happen. And so the question is, do we continue to do what we have done historically in this country, which is the the private insurer model, or do we move again, to a Canadian system, a single-payer type of system. That's what the dialogue has to have. I I just think a single-payer system would be disastrous, and I don't think we in America would be willing to stand up and say, hey, okay, we're going we're gonna to be willing to wait three or four months for or more for necessary procedures. I think what's going to happen is, again, it's really going to result in two standards of health care, people who can pay for it, paying for it, um, and getting the better quality health care and other people sitting there saying, OK, I'm going to wait around for six months to have uh, surgery on my cataracts or whatever. I, I just I don't think it's going to work. But it's a debate that we, in fact, have to have. Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. All right, big thing number three. A little bit late getting through stuff, but actually, I, I do. I enjoy that last hour of the program. We we have to have intelligent conversations about where we're going in this country with health care, and um, I think that was a very intelligent one, as a matter of fact. All right, big thing number three. The beat goes on. Menominee Falls. Here's the story. Fox 6 was reporting it. Three people were taken into custody after a vehicle theft and pursuit in Menominee Falls. Police say they believe they were involved in a series of thefts and attempted thefts prior to the pursuit. So they catch these these three bad guys, high-speed chase, and they believe that they were involved in a series of crimes. Police said that around 1045 in the morning Monday... Officers were dispatched for a vehicle theft that happened near Appleton Avenue and Rivercrest Drive. An officer spotted the stolen vehicle and a second vehicle following close behind. The second vehicle was observed to have a broken window. And and this is kind of par for the course now with the auto thefts that are going on. 
what you have is you have various cars. You'll have like roving bands of, of bad guys. They'll go and they'll, they'll try to find cars. And a lot of times you'll have then, so then they steal a car and then there's two cars that are there. So, okay. So the police are driving. They see a stolen car. They see another car with a, a broken window. An officer signals the vehicles to stop. And of course, we now know, you know, what happens because of the Milwaukee police policy. Thank you, Tom Barrett. Thank you, Ed Flynn. That, you know, you don't chase unless you have evidence to believe that there's probable cause to believe there's been a crime of violence. So what happens? People run. Now, this is Menominee Falls. This isn't Milwaukee. And in Menominee Falls, they perhaps take a different approach that Milwaukee does, where Milwaukee just lets the bad guys go by, and the police officers are unfortunately limited by policy to sitting there and waving as the bad guys drive off to escape and commit yet another crime. So anyhow, officer signals the vehicles to stop. The cars flee. Police say the stolen vehicle headed into Germantown, Milwaukee, and Mequon. It was eventually abandoned near County Line Road and 76th Street, where the occupants of the vehicle flee on foot. All right. The police chase them down, and they they catch them. Um, so they catch three people in what should come again is no surprise. Two of the three people that they catch had warrants. The police also say that they believe that this gang had been involved in vehicle thefts and other similar types of crime. They say that they had gotten calls for service around the time of this indica- incident, indicating that they believe that these these three bad guys were involved in a series of thefts and attempted thefts that occurred prior to the pursuit. So, again, you have stolen cars, this roving gang of bad guys committing various crimes. The police try to pull them over. They flee. And because this isn't Milwaukee, the cops chase them, and they ultimately end up catching them. All right. The dazzling detail. Two of the three have outstanding warrants. The dazzling details. The three people arrested. Monday was a school day, wasn't it? Yes, yesterday was a school day. We're, we're not out of school, right? Monday was a school day. This, this all happened 1045. So you got this gang out there committing crimes, stealing cars, leading the cops on a high-speed chase at 1045 a.m. yesterday. The three <clears throat> suspects who were arrested, two of the three who have outstanding warrants, ages 13, 14, and 15. Um, And lest you wonder, these three juveniles are all from Milwaukee, two of whom have outstanding warrants. And my guess is, uh, my guess is all of them have been through the juvenile justice system, even the 13-year-old. But, all right, it's, it's 1045 on a school day. You have 13, 14, and 15 year olds, none of whom are old enough to legally drive, who are driving stealing cars in the suburbs and leading the cops on high-speed chases. Two of the three have outstanding warrants. You know, and the Menominee Falls police, I mean, they, they say, well, look, this, uh, the Menominee Falls police say, you know, we've had other instances in the past of juveniles approaching this young age involved in vehicle thefts. It's not prevalent in Menominee Falls, but obviously it, it does happen. And, of course, it happens because, like we've talked about before, what you see is the the blot of crime that goes on in Milwaukee County with a catch and release system, particularly towards juveniles, but to all criminals in general, but particularly towards juveniles. Now that that 
ink stain is spreading. And you're seeing more and more people deciding we are going to go out to the suburbs to commit our crimes, which is why if you are listening to me and you're in Washington County or you're in Ozaki County or you're in Waukesha County or you're in Dodge County and you're saying, well, why do I care about crime in Milwaukee County. This is why I moved out of Milwaukee County, or this is why I won't go to Milwaukee County because I'm concerned about crime. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is crime from Milwaukee, the city and the county, particularly the city, though, it is spreading out to your communities like a cancer. And that's why that's why you need to care about what is going on because it's not like the movie Escape from New York where you have a giant fence that's built around the city of Milwaukee or around Milwaukee County that stops 13 and 14 and 15 year olds who are supposed to be in school from coming out to Menominee Falls and committing a string of crimes including car thefts and then fleeing from the cops. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is what I wonder. When is enough going to be enough? Look, I, the, the county executive you know, has this, and the police chief, they have this big news conference a couple of days ago saying, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about we're going to improve our communications. You know, for these kids who've been through the system on multiple occasions and have these GPS tracking things that they're wearing, these bracelets to the extent they wear them, um, you know, and we get reports that they've, you know, gone outside the area, we'll, we'll now notify the, the police. And so we'll be able to figure out where they are a little bit quicker, which means when they go out and steal cars or rob people, um, maybe we'll have at least a little bit head start on it. But, of course, when they run from us, we're going to let them go away. When, 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 when are we going to say enough is enough? I don't know about you, but what we are doing now does not work. And it is way past time to start getting serious with juveniles who commit crimes. And if this means locking more of them up, I say lock more of them up. I'm all in favor of the midnight basketball, whatever you can do to try to discourage people from committing crimes. But I'm sorry, a 14 or 15-year-old with outstanding warrants, 1045 on a Monday morning out on a car theft spree in Menominee Falls, that those people, those kids should not have been out on the streets. And, you know, what do you want to bet? That when they go in front of the same juvenile judge who's probably slapped their wrist on multiple occasions, the same thing is going to be hap- happening. Is it time to start cracking down on this and to start sending more and more of these progressively educated teenagers to some form of facility, whether it's a boot camp for juveniles or whether it's a juvenile prison or whatever? But what we're doing now doesn't work. It's going to cost more money, but my point is, if it makes us safer, it's worth the dough. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if it was your car that was busted into at 1045 in the morning in Menominee Falls, and you find out it's a 13 and a 14 and a 15-year-old, two of whom have outstanding warrants, wouldn't you want something significant done to them? Do we need to start cracking down more on juvenile crime? 414-799-1620, and it starts in Milwaukee. 1018, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss this next. 
It's 1021, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, you know, uh, Ray from Illinois texts us, uh, start arresting the parents and charging them with child neglect and failure to supervise. Maybe that will stop it. Hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, Dan texts, reminds me of the line from the Dragnet movie where a disgusted Joe Friday says, and on a school night, too. My hope is that when Milwaukee criminals venture into Waukesha, they throw the book at them. Chuck in Brookfield. Chuck, good morning. You're in 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Yeah, that's my point. Uh, these crimes were committed in Waukesha. They're going to face Waukesha courts, not Milwaukee right. courts. Right, right. And another, yeah, well, here, this, too. If these kids got warrants on them, it's real easy for the police to pick them up at school. So this is telling me these kids never go to school. So uh, where are the parents on this? Why aren't they being... Uh... Yeah, 13, 14, and 15 years old. That's an, you know, that, that's an outstanding point, Chuck. You're right. If you've got outstanding warrants... It should be easy to find you, you know, if you are, in fact, in school. But, I mean, I get, yeah, that would be interesting to know. How many days, how long has it been since these 13, 14, and 15-year-olds who are on their crime spree yesterday morning, how long has it actually been since they've been in school? And we need to try them as adults. I, well, or, right, thank, or, or, or if, if not try them as adults, at least toughen the juvenile penalty system. I mean, I, again... I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I mean, there's the one case we were talking about a couple weeks ago. Kid gets arrested. He is implicated in 22 car thefts, 22 car thefts. And the juvenile court judge essentially puts him out on bail and, and sends him back to his parents. I mean, how insane is is that? And And I don't want to see... One of the reasons I don't fault the rank-and-file police officers with this is their problem. And it is I have a lot of friends who are cops. And one of the things that they will tell you that is so frustrating is they know who the bad guys are. They know what is going on. And the problem, though, is it gets discouraging. You go out, you arrest them. And then, it, you know, you've arrested somebody, you know, implicated in 22 car thefts, and then you get some judge that turns loose and puts them back on the street on bail. Or um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to um, send you to a halfway house, and we're going to put a GPS monitor. But if you take the GPS monitor off, nothing's going to happen to you. Well, what these judges need to realize is there are real people out on the streets who are being victimized. And the frustration is, who's going to stand up for the victims here? Um, Let's see. Beth writes, I don't understand why car theft isn't considered a crime of violence. My window is broken. My car is gone. I can't get to work. I feel extremely violated. Violated equals violence. Same root word. Incarcerate these juveniles and their parents if their kids are very young. I mean, yeah, you you got a 13 year old and and it is it's it always has been just, again, head splitting to me that you have these judges that don't think car theft is a big deal. Well, okay, that's. If somebody reaches into the till and steals, you know, fifty dollars out of a convenience store, that's a big deal. But stealing a two or three thousand or five thousand dollar or fifty thousand dollar car, that's no big deal. I mean, part of the problem is these judges say, "Well, you've got insurance." Well, okay, it, it is a violation, and I don't, for the life of me, understand why we bend over backwards 
to try to accommodate the criminal. And that is just the reality of what is going on in the system. And maybe some people don't like to hear, oh, how, oh, don't you understand? We've, you know, how dare you say that little Johnny is a criminal? Well, oh, I'm sorry. If you're 13 or 14 or 15 years old and you're driving around looking to boost as many cars as you possibly can out in Menominee Falls at 1045 on a school day with outstanding warrants against you or one of your dirtball buddies, yes, that is what I would consider to be, wait for it, a criminal. Keith in Germantown. Keith, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I don't know if you guys know this out there, out in Radio Land, but this is a game that these kids play. They get points with the groups who they're involved with of what they do. If you can't steal the car, then you heist stuff from in the car to prove that you were in the car, and they get points for this. <laughs> and they get awards from their little groups that they have. And the issue we have is anytime we all talk about it out here in the burbs, because we're just a bunch of racists. Right, because it's and people from Milwaukee, predominantly black, not exclusively, but, you know, right. who are coming out and are committing these crimes. Right, and if you right. say that, you're this horrible person. Yep. Right, exactly. And when is it going to end? It's going to end where someday, some is going to say enough is enough. People are talking about the, the kids, the families, you know, the parents and all that stuff. You know, it's really out of control. And the issue that you have is, is, we are overmatched up here because if there's so much of it. If you come to my town, we don't have, you know, there's issues, obviously, but you don't have these kind of issues. Our kids are in school. What's going to be the result if this is, this is ongoing? And the yeah. answer is, and so you stop calling me racist, the people out there, this is not a race issue. This is a crime issue. Right, 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 right exactly. It, it's, it right. is, you're exactly right. Thanks for, you're right, Keith. It, it, it is a crime control type of thing. And we, we don't, you know, like to, to deal with some of these uncomfortable realities. But yeah, I mean, how many times when you have these stories, you know, and we've, we've done, I think I probably talked about three of them in the last, you know, 10 days or so, you know, where you have crime from the city of Milwaukee and criminals, juvenile criminals coming out and committing crimes in the, the suburbs because maybe it's an easier target of opportunity, you know, whatever. But, but right, we, we don't like to address that fact. And, you know, whenever I see these, that's always my question. Okay, who are the criminals that are out there? Who's out there stealing all these cars in, in Brookfield that now have the Brookfield police saying to people, well, the car theft is so bad out here that you might don't leave your car parked in, in your driveway. I mean, who says that? Don't leave your car parked in your driveway. I mean, really. But but it is the spreading nature of crime. And going back to where I started this conversation, it's why if you are in our listening area, you need to care about what is going on in Milwaukee County. Now, unfortunately, you can't vote for some of the judges. You can't control that. But you can. Again, when people come out and commit crimes in at least some of the suburbs, maybe maybe the judges out there recognize that we cannot continue to be soft on this and that what has to happen is if you come out and you commit crimes, if you do the crime, you got to start doing at least some time. 1027, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten thirty-six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Um, this, you know, we're right in the middle of one of our WTMJ Cares initiatives, and we've done a number of these over the course of the last year, um, raising money for various causes um, in 
the last year the one I was involved with was um, working with Freighter and trying to help promote cancer awareness and help folks get checked up for various things. Um, but right now, this is one that uh, D- Gene Miller has is, is really been taking the, the point on. And we're asking you to help us complete the memorial to a local military legend as we continue our WTMJ Cares initiative with a special radiothon. It's going to begin at 8.30 this Friday on my program. It's your chance to contribute to our goal of completing the new memorial for Medal of Honor recipient Lance Sijon at Mitchell International Airport. Keep listening all this week for more details about Friday's Radiothon and learn more about Lance Sijon, his story, and his lasting legacy by clicking on the WTMJ Cares link at WTMJ.com. Just one final thought on the the the, the crime wave that is starting to hit the suburbs and it's it's in large measure. Now I'm not saying it's all it's all of that, but what you're seeing more and more now is criminals, juvenile criminals adult criminals, criminals from Milwaukee coming out and committing crimes in the various suburbs. I have an interesting email from Kim. And see, and here's the, here is the thing that frustrates police. I'll just tell you this, that it's a relatively small percentage, whether it's juveniles or adults, who engage in these type of crimes. Bottom line is, let's just talk to you, most kids are good kids. Most kids aren't out there at, at 10.45 in the morning, driving around Menominee Falls, looking for people to rob or cars to steal. That, that's, that's not the case. But the problem is, there is a small percentage of repeat criminals, juveniles and adults, who I think are responsible for the vast majority of, of the crime. And, and that's, that is what's so frustrating when you have somebody who over and over and over again is engaging in criminal behavior. You know, I, I have all the respect in the world for the police, but they're not good enough to catch somebody the first time they commit a crime necessarily. And, and you have these people, so they commit all these crimes, they finally get caught, they get prosecuted, they get slapped on the wrist, and then they're out there committing crimes again. It's the repeat offenders who are doing it over and over and over again. So I have an email, a text here from Kim. Who says, I live in Milwaukee with five well-behaved biracial children. I am sick to death of the bad apples bringing shame to all brown children. When will we value the lives and reputations of those who live right over coddling those who live so recklessly? You know, so, so sick of all this. Yeah, I mean, that's the, and that's what the frustrating thing is. You know, it's, it's, it's not fair to, to like generalize and say, okay, every kid that's going to you know a public school in Milwaukee is a criminal. That's not true. It's it's just not it's not close to true. Like I say, the vast majority of kids they're in school. You know, they're 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 trying to do the right thing. They're kids, but when you have this small element of criminals, and that's what they are, who repeatedly do this type of stuff, it, it's you understand why people do generalize, and it's why it is so frustrating to a lot of people, both in law enforcement and the community in general, that we have, uh, again, these slap-on-the-wrist court systems. Now, again, that is one of the things. Uh, it, ain't, it ain't that way in the suburbs. And I think you have suburban judges, you know, judges in Waukesha County or Washington County or Ozaki County or Dodge County um, or Racine County who aren't as tolerant, I would say, of this type of behavior. And so maybe that's one of the deterrents. Now, it doesn't help you if, like me, you live in Milwaukee County because you're, you're still going to be dealing with that. But um, this is a regional problem, and it needs to be emphasized. All right, so last night, 
I went downtown. Um, I, I was the MC, as I was saying earlier, of this wonderful event, sold-out event at the Wisconsin Club um, involving Armed Forces Week. There, By the way, there's a lot of activities that are going on. I would encourage you to go to their website. If you just put in Armed Forces Week Milwaukee, you'll get a complete list of all the different things that they have going on. But but last night was their, their big dinner. Um, I've emceed it for you know many, many years, and... It, it, it's always fun to, to go down there. And, and before and afterwards, I, I'm kind of driving around the city a little bit. And I was trying to think because when we got done with the event, it was like, okay, let, let's go out and have a drink, you know, before, you know, we, we go to our respective homes and stuff. And, and so I, I, the thing that I always drive, I'm thinking about is, okay, where is their free, where is their road construction? Everywhere, and you know where is there a place that you're going to be able to park easily? And that's kind of the what my driving thing is. Well. There was one place I was thinking of going to to have a drink after th- this event, but I knew I, I didn't. I I thought I could get there, but I knew the streets were being torn up, and I just it just it, it wasn't it wasn't worth it. If you have driven into downtown Milwaukee, particularly in the area down by the train station, or just south of Wisconsin Avenue, it looks like a war zone. Here's the way Fox Six reported it. Crews have set the first steel rails in place for the downtown Milwaukee streetcar on West St. Paul Avenue, with construction to t- uh, construction scheduled to take a second part of the streetcar route this week. Traffic is down to a single eastbound lane on St. Paul Avenue, so crews can tear up the middle part of the roll- road to lay streetcar track. The work is happening... Um, by the southwest end of the 2.5-mile route. So it's, it's at the bus depot. This is that, that streetcar that's going to run from the bus depot to the lower east side. Um, we're on schedule, they, they say. Fall of 2018 is the anticipated time when we're going to be opening to service. Crews are preparing to start work on a five-block stretch on North Broadway from Clybourne to Kilbourne on Wednesday. No parking signs are already up. Broadway is a sea of orange construction cones. Traffic will be reduced to a single southbound lane for a three-month period uh, during the height of the summer. City officials are urging drivers to use other streets. Business owners who own stores on North Broadway are hopeful that their customers won't forget about them between now and August when the five-block stretch is scheduled to reopen. Um, They're saying, okay, we're just going to have to deal with this. Business owners, this is the story of Fox 6, are hopeful that their short-term pain, that is having the roads torn up so nobody can get to their businesses, um, will be long-term gain once the streetcar is operating. And one of the owners of one of the businesses says, my long-range hope is that some of the empty storefronts will become full of other goods and services, other retail spaces, restaurants. Restaurants would be great. I see tremendous potential. That is, tremendous potential in this 2.5-mile streetcar line. This project is going to cost the taxpayers $128 million. Now, I, I understand that you know half of it apparently is coming from federal tax money um the the rest of it coming from taxpayers and that 128 million dollars just begins to scratch the surface because there's going to be operating costs nobody suggests that this thing is going to pay for itself but this this is Tom Barrett's legacy and 
despite the fact that lots of people had a chance to say no, it is in fact going to happen. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand why people want to be optimistic. And I understand why, okay, in theory, for a 10 days out of the year when you've got Summerfest running, people come up from Illinois and they'll leave the train station and they'll hop on the little trolley spur that might go down to the lakefront. That's the second one that's going to be built. So I understand for a couple days here and there, there might be some people that use it. But this is now going to be a reality. $128 million plus however many million dollars a year it's going to cost to subsidize this because, well, it's not going to have any sort of enough ridership, certainly, to pay for itself. So you're talking about a major capital, you're talking a major capital expenditure to go back to technology that, well, we, we decided wasn't effective in 1910 you know, or 1920 or whenever they pulled out the streetcar lines the last time. They're now back. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I believe, and I, I say this sincerely, this is one of the most incredible wastes of taxpayer money that I think I have ever, ever seen. Um, will some people ride it? Well, okay, maybe. You know, some people will do almost anything. But if you had $128 million to spend on some form of economic development or mass transit, I think this is about the worst way you could spend that dough. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Am I right or am I wrong? We discuss next. It's ten forty six. This is Jeff Wagner. Six twenty WTMJ. It is ten forty nine. Ten fifty actually. Jeff Wagner. Six twenty WTMJ. Can Amazon's new delivery service be to blame for two area grocery stores deciding to shut their doors? Scafidi and Billstad have the latest developments in Milwaukee's grocery wars. That is at two oh seven today. All right. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I just this the streetcar and the streetcar is in fact the streetcar is happening. There's no question about that. But again, it strikes me as being one of the most amazing boondoggles. Um, let's see. Christian um, writes, I'm 25 years old. This will be a logistical disaster. This is not what Milwaukee needs for its future. I drove down East St. Paul yesterday. Tracks are in the ground. Had to pinch myself. What a terrible nightmare. Summerfest, every other weekend festivals. Awful. Um, awful. Um, I tell you, this is... This is this hip and trendy thing, and, and I understand that there's some people that, that point to the trolleys and say, oh, you know, isn't this wonderful? Look, you have this trolley here, you have this trolley there. What is going to happen when it snows? What is going? Why we would go to a fixed rail system is just mind-boggling to me. If you wanted to try to figure out a way to move people around, well, okay, Use the rubber tire trolleys because then you can say, all right, during Summerfest, we need people that want to go down to the Summerfest grounds. That's great. We'll add the trolleys. Why you would build a permanent line that would take people down to the Summerfest grounds in November or December or January or February or March or April is just crazy. 
You're not going to need it then, but you're caught with that. And this idea that, hey, we have to somehow try to you know, be, be retro, and this is going to inspire all these people to you know, come down and patronize all these different businesses. Well, first of all, I just think that's pie in the sky. But secondly, it's, it's not a zero-sum game. All right, let, let's say that maybe you're able to revitalize some of the vacant storefronts along Broadway. Okay, great. Where are those businesses going to come from? It's probably going to be people who are running a business somewhere else that's getting no attention at all that decides to move. So you trade one vacant storefront from another. And for the life of me, again, I am not a city resident, but if I were a city resident, if I lived in some of the economically depressed areas of the city, near north side, near south side, I would be screaming bloody murder at my alderman saying, wait a minute, you've gone along with this? What is in this for me? We have these economically depressed areas, and we're taking $128 million plus however much more money is going to cost to operate these things, and this is how we're spending money. If I lived on the far south side or the far southwest side or the far northwest side, you know, up by Dretzka Park and all that, I'd be outraged at my alderman as well. Again, my question would be, you know, what is in it for me? You know, we put all these resources into downtown. And there has been at least some revitalization of downtown, although that's going to come to an – I think you're going to have a logical limit to that. But it is coming at the expense of the rest of the city. And, again, to me, this is the fundamental question. If you have $128 million that you can spend, how in the world – how in the world do you spend it on a project like this? Tom Barrett wants this to be his legacy. Well, okay, Tom Barrett's legacy is going to be a guy that spent millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars in taxpayer money to invest in technology that was outdated and wasn't working a 100 years ago. I continue to believe that, again, my example, best example I could give is that 10 years from now, when these streetcars are running and there's nobody on them and they're transporting air, what's going to happen is Martians might land in Cathedral Square Park and they're going to look at this and these empty trolleys that are going to go, out, go by and as they fly away, they're going to leave convinced that there is no intelligent life on Earth, at least no intelligent life in the city of Milwaukee. Now, maybe I will be proven wrong. Maybe these... Maybe the the yuppies will just flock down to this area, and maybe you're not going to be able to get a space on these particular streetcars at all. But the truth is, we, we all know the reality, and the reality is that's just not going to happen. And even if there are some people who decide to ride on this, it's not going to be enough to justify the expense. Um, you know, How could it work? Let's talk to Mark in Mequon. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. How Hi, are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, I'm a, I'm one of these bad absentee landlords in the city of Milwaukee. Okay. And I am so frustrated over what you're talking about and the wasted funds that Tom Baird is living in a fantasy world. The journal will, will pick apart some landlords that deservedly require it, but you know who the who the biggest landlord in the city of Milwaukee is? Well, it's the city of Milwaukee, right? It is. You yeah. are correct. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they're one of the worst landlords controlling the number of units that they have. 
that that money can go to those units for housing for people that can not afford it. That, yeah. That's all I want to get off my chest. Well, it, it, that's fine. And, and again, it's just I, I look at thanks. To, I mean, I look at all the resources that that you're investing in tearing up the streets, and you know. Uh, you know, moving the utilities. And, of course, and I, I will say this about, you know, Tim and Tom Barrett. He, he's honest that he recognizes that there's not going to be too many people, I think, that are going to ride this initial streetcar line. But but his justification is, I want to put these all across the – I want to put these all across the city. I want this going out. You know, one of the things that I still believe is behind this, this crazy – idea to tear up Wisconsin Avenue and Blue Mound Road to run a bus line out to the medical college. I mean, I think ultimately the plan is going to be, well, we want to expand this. We want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. We want the streetcar to go out there. We want the streetcar to go down to the airport. Okay, well, that might sound good because you're going to say we need to do that to get the ridership up because right now it doesn't go anywhere. But you're talking about a cost of hundreds of millions, maybe a billion dollars. Really, when you consider all the pressing needs that this community has, that's what you're going to do. Uh, Mitch says, where besides San Francisco does this really does this really work? Um, yes. Um, here's the other. I got another text here. You will never convince me that a $60 wheel tax is needed when we're spending money this frivolously. Well, that's the other thing. Now, the $60 wheel tax, that's Chris Abley, that's county, as opposed to the city. But in the city of Milwaukee, you're paying a wheel tax. You are paying a wheel tax to support the roads, and yet we've got tens of millions of dollars, $128 million for the first installment of the streetcar line. Seriously. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Um, Congressman Mike Gallagher, and I was actually with the congressman last night. He was one of the featured speakers at this Armed Forces Day dinner that I had the pleasure of emceeing. And um, very impressive guy. If you haven't, Mike Gallagher is an rising star in Wisconsin politics, former Marine officer, served overseas. And as I described him when I was introducing him last night, he is, in in my opinion, I have an opportunity to meet a lot of people and you, you can tell pretty quickly, especially when people are thinking of getting involved in politics, you can tell, and I'm going to put aside political issues, you can tell pretty early, you know, who who's in it for the right reasons and who's in it for themselves. And there's no question, when I first met Mike Gallagher, he, he's, he was in it because he cares about his community, he cares about the state, he cares about the country. And, you know, he was talking yesterday about how, you know, one of his big driving things was the, the need to, you know, reinvest in the military and, and get get this country back to the footing he believes it needs to be to support ourselves in the face of all the challenges we have to national security. But anyhow, um, he's out today. And again, he's, he's a Marine veteran. Um, he sits on the House Armed Services Committee. Um, he takes to Twitter uh, this morning to to talk about, again, the disclosures that President Trump apparently disclosed classified information to the Russian, um, saying that he considers it to be fantasy to view Russian Russia as a reliable partner in counterterrorism. Um, and, um, you know, he says also, I mean, our allies and partners must have the ultimate utmost confidence that sensitive information they share with us will not be disclosed. He called on the White House to share with the House and Senate intelligence parties a transcript of the president's meeting with Russian officials. And I, we talked about this in the, the start of the program at the 830 hour, and I, I'm not going to revisit it completely. But, I mean, here here was my take on this. Obviously, 
it is the president's right to disclose whatever confidential classified information he feels appropriate. The president gets to do that. Nobody else does. If somebody else discloses classified information, it is a felony, and they're probably, you know, in handcuffs. But the president gets to do that. My concern about this entire thing was, I and look, I, I think if you can try to bring Russia over to our side, that, that that's fine. If you have information leading to you to believe that, hey, there's credible threats, that you've got people in ISIS, for example, who are getting ready to bring down a Russian airliner. Well, I, I think, you know, that might motivate you to say, hey, you know, we want to make sure there's not the innocent loss of life. My concern about this entire thing is that I don't get the idea that there was any sort of consideration that was taken by this. I don't get the idea, for example, that the president and the national security people sat down and said, hey, we've got this meeting with this Russian ambassador and um, Russian foreign minister, and you know, we, we need to get this information to them so they can use it in a particular fashion. I don't think there was any sort of thing. I just get the idea that President Trump just started, again, as he often does, shooting from the hip and giving out this information, which – you know, will it compromise intelligence sources? I don't know. But certainly you're giving this information to the Russians before you even share it with, you know, our other allies. What, what's that all about? And that just tells me that it wasn't a thought out sort of decision made, you know, after close. Con- it's the process of all this that just drives me, me crazy. And, and somebody who perhaps doesn't appreciate, hey, I want the Russians to like me, so I'm going to share this information or I've got some really good gossip. And I want to I want to tell that that gossip because then maybe people are going to like me. That's what the, the trouble is. The fact that you just don't get the idea that there was any sort of serious contemplation. And I feel bad. Uh, there's a you know press conference now that uh, McMaster, who was trotted out yesterday to deny this happened. Oh, there was no information shared. And then, of course, President Trump sends out a tweet 12 hours later, pretty much cutting off the general at his knees by saying, well, You know, I I have the absolute right to share information, which tells me that there was information that was, in fact, shared. But it's just another, another stupid distraction. And that is what's so frustrating to me. I want this country has so many things that need to get done. And as somebody, as a conservative who's kind of been on the outside for the last, you know, eight, well, actually more than that, because even when Republicans had the White House um, during President Bush, the, the last few years, they didn't have control of Congress. So now you have a situation where you have Republicans that have control of Congress. You have Republicans in the White House. And, and instead of instead of doing the things that the country needs to have done, fixing health care, reforming taxes, promoting national security, we are constantly bouncing around in this, you know, was James Comey, why was James Comey fired? And it all comes back to, like, dealing with the Russians or, you know, how many people were there at the inauguration? Who cares? I don't care if James Comey was fired. I don't. I don't care how many people were at the inauguration. What I care about is doing stuff to try to make this country better. And this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity that conservatives have, and it is frustrating to me because collectively, Republicans, we cannot stay on message. And I do. This starts out at the White House. The White House cannot stay on message. And as a result of that, you know, we, we just it, you kind of flounder, and every day that goes by makes it more difficult to get stuff accomplished, and that is what is frustrating to me. Coming up next, more states 
are going after sanctuary cities. We will discuss. Stick around. It's 1115. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The WTMJ Classic Free Ride makes a pit stop in West Bend tomorrow. Join John McCure in Wisconsin's Afternoon News as they broadcast live from 3 to 6, the pick and save on Main Street. That would be in West Bend. Register to win the incredible 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible. And tickets to see Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers at Summerfest this July. That is tomorrow, 3 until 6. Pick and save Main Street in West Bend. It's the WTMJ Classic Free Ride, and it is sponsored by New Mail Medical in Tosa and, of course, Summerfest. All right. Actually, the, the problem with illegal immigration is getting a little bit better, in part because of, in part because of the language that Donald Trump is, is using. One, one of the real interesting stur- surveys, if you look at this, is that what used to be a flood of, of people coming into this country illegally has now kind of settled down to a, to a trickle. Um, they say since January, for example, um, border agents say they have seen a significant decrease in traffic, that is, people coming across illegally, to the point that they are um, averaging about 150 alien apprehensions a day. This would be people who are foreigners, um, not entitled to come in the country, illegal aliens. Um, it's down to about 150. Um, it was oh about as many as a thousand a day a year or two ago, and almost everybody attributes that to the, the the rhetoric that Trump has come out with and other people just talking about how we're going to crack down, we're going to put all these resources. Just the mere threat of that has discouraged some people from trying to come into the country illegally. Now, the folks that don't like Donald Trump and just can't stand anything he's going to do are appalled with that. But actually, if, if this is the case to me, we're, we're talking tough works. Well, then I, I'd say, you know, talk tough. And it certainly appears that that is working. But on the flip side of that, you have a number of communities in this state and in this country that have declared themselves to be the so-called sanctuary cities or, or sanctuary schools or sanctuary campuses. And while while the definition of that sort of varies, and it's not a legal term, um, it's a general description, because right now there's about 300 state and local jurisdictions that have some kind of policy that limits their cooperation with federal immigration officials. Supporters say um, the, these policies, not cooperating with federal immigration officials, is a, is a moral counterpart to demands from the Trump administration that local officials work with the, the federal government. Well, as more and more of these communities or these college campuses take this position, there's starting to be a pushback. And this year, at least 33 states including Wisconsin, will be considering laws that crack down on sanctuary cities. In general, you know, these laws will punish local governments and public universities that enact policies that will protect undocumented immigrants. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It, it, It appears that, you know, people are digging in. 
there are some communities, and you know we happen to live in one, where there is this outrage, this outrage over the very notion that law enforcement would cooperate, that, that, that the communities would cooperate with federal law enforcement in trying to enforce federal immigration laws to the point that, okay, somebody's arrested, they're in this country illegally, they're booked in the jail. Well, okay, they're going to make bail. They would be subject to a detainer, but let's not notify the immigration officials. Or let's notify immigration officials five minutes before the person's going to, to bail out so they won't have an opportunity to come and take them. I mean, so that's that's how you don't cooperate with federal officials. There are local officials who think, hey, this is the moral high ground. We are doing the right thing by not cooperating and not cooperating and not allowing the federal immigration system to work because after all it's the federal immigration system 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line i don't think communities should be able to pick and choose which laws they want to cooperate with and which laws they don't want to cooperate with and it seems to me that whether you are a state or whether you are a community if you decide that hey you don't want to you don't want to play the game you don't want to cooperate that's fine but if you're going to co- not cooperate there should be consequences including you're going to lose federal funding for say your law enforcement initiatives because if you don't care enough to try to follow federal law with regard to one aspect of the crime problem why should you get dough from the federal government? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. It is way, in my opinion, way past time to start cracking down on this whole concept of sanctuary city. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1124. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Clint in Bayview. Clint, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. What do you think? Should they cra- Should the feds be cracking down on these sanctuary cities? Should the state crack down on these sanctuary cities? I do. I, yes, I do. And I agree with you. I don't think uh, these communities should be picking and choosing which laws they uh, want to follow. But I do think um, before we, you know, withhold federal funding, I, I just wish there was a more cut-and-dry, black-and-white way to define what a sanctuary city is. I think right now it just seems like it's too subjective, uh, you know, what is and what isn't a sanctuary city. Yes. Um, but, but you know, that being said, if we can come up with a, a cut-and-dry, you know, definition of, yes, you know, this place is absolutely a sanctuary city, then I say by all means cut off the funding. Yeah, and you make a, thanks for call, you make a fair point because, again, there's no specific definition and there are, there are some cities or some communities that privately will boast about being sanctuary cities, but then when the metal meets the meat, they'll say, no, no, but we're really not. And so you have to decide exactly what that is. Is it, and, and to this extent, you, you might need to toughen federal law, explaining exactly what the obligations of local law enforcement should be with regard to cooperating with immigration officials, whether it's guidelines or whatever, to, to say, because what's going on now? And I, I understand the argument that some communities make is, first of all, we don't want to be perceived as being hostile to Ill, illegal aliens, all right? And our concern is 
that if police are af- if people are afraid that they if they come in and report a crime and it turns out that they're in this country illegally that they will then be reported to immigration uh, well then they're just they're going to be crime victims they're going to be like less likely to be willing to come forward and you'll have this bad policy well that's that's a concern but that's not the way it plays out in the real world what what ends up happening more often than not is it's not the crime victim that comes forward and ends up getting turned in it's it's the criminal it's the person that gets arrested for drunk driving for example and you know their authorities know that they're here illegally they know that there's somebody that immigration would pick up, but, oh, it's a drunk driver, and we don't want to cooperate. We don't want to notify immigration in a timely fashion so they can come and scoop that person up. See, that's completely, in my mind, different. Once It's one thing to say, okay, you know, we're not going to require law enforcement if they just have an incidental contact with somebody, again, a crime victim, you know, we're not going to require them to notify the, the federal government. And I don't even know that federal law requires them to do that. But in general, that's not the way this works out. Like I say, it's people that are arrested um, who should be should be federal government should at least be told, hey, we've got this person that's in custody and given an opportunity to come in and scoop them up. Why it is that whether it's Madison or Milwaukee or anywhere else, why it is that when somebody commits a crime and, for example, has come into contact with police officials because of that, why you want to protect them, I don't know. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, well, it's my birthday, and I've got I'm, – I'm dealing with this thing. I've got, a, I've got a topic related to that. Is age just a number? I need some input. It's, 10, it's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Colleen Bolin, you have a theory on this. Yes. I mean, is, is age just a number? I think it is. I think age is just a number, except to the very young. They look at the rest of us as old. <laughs> well, I, I, was, I, I was telling you off the air the story that my, um, my, my goddaughter, my, my niece, um, turned 18. She's going to be going to, to college, San Diego State, in the fall, and she's graduating from Pewaukee this year. And... It, for her 18th birthday, we went out to dinner with you know her, her, my brother and my sister-in-law and her brother and I and it, it and I, I just I, I love Sydney and I said you know um, I, I understand that this is going to be there was probably some person that said this to me when I turned 18 and I, I probably thought oh my God what an old person thing to say and so I know that you're going to probably be reacting the same way but I, I, I did say you know um, it goes by. It goes by in the blink of an eye. It, it just does. And she nodded and said, I don't understand, Uncle Jeff. And I know she's probably thinking, what an old person thing to say. <laughs> I but, roll, yeah. <laughs> but but that's it. But it, you think age is just a number. I do. I mean, of course, everybody, as you do get older, you have to be more aware of your health and everything like that. But it is. It is just a number. It's if you get And if you get hung up on that, oh, that person's older than me, than me then, or younger than me, you're going to miss out on a lot of different friends in life. Right, I right. Think. Well, the other thing that's, that's kind of, coming hitting me in the head is that I, a lot of people probably said this i, I know it's it's a quotation that's attributed to john landon but a lot of people probably always said too is that that life is what happens when you're making plans you know everybody just okay you have all these big plans i'm going to do this i'm going to do that i'm going to do whatever and then all of a sudden you, you kind of wake up one day and uh, you, whether your health is gone or you know something like that you're you're not able to follow through on those plans 
So yeah, that's right. Now, the reason I bring this up, thank you, Colleen. The reason I bring this up is if you were um, listening, or we, we were not able to do this subtly at, at all because it was actually it was quite pleasant. I, today's my birthday, and it's a zero-year birthday. And I, I walk into the office this morning, and it was a complete and total surprise because the woman I'm seeing had come down here really early in the morning and made arrangements with our program director, and she put up that there's this big, big sign with golf things and Las Vegas stuff and Jimmy Buffett stuff and there's a, a huge cake. Matter of fact, Jay Sorgi tweeted out a picture of, of the cake and it's got a golfer and it's got a little dog, Sasha, on it and all sorts of stuff. And so it it's you know, we, we, we weren't able to get away with that. And, that, that, and that's fine because I'm, I'm actually very cool with, with the zero year birthday and all. But I, I have been kind of reflecting on on this as you reach again those kind of zero year birthdays and as you as the digit in front of that zero gets bigger you know you, you start to you know think more and more um 30 i did not do 30 well i well, I, I don't know why but i i just i didn't do 30 well um you know 40 and 50 were okay and, and this one actually is, is okay too although it, it is a little bit you know, kind of retrospective. I mean, I think about some of my really close friends in high school. A couple have passed away over the, the you know, last, you know, several years. And you start to think about that and kind of take it in stride. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I do think it's something that you, you can't uh, obsess on. And I'm, I'm actually very cool with this. I thought we'd devote one segment to it because I, I know – this is perhaps something that, that everybody goes to. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is age, is age just a number? I mean, I remember when I was 18, I would have thought, oh, my God, 50. I can't but 50. And, and 60, oh, my gosh, you know. And then you kind of reach those different milestones, and it's like, wow, you know. It's, this is just the, the start of things. So um, – how do you handle getting getting older? Um, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I just, I, 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 it, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about this, especially since, you know, all sorts of stuff been going on in my life in the last couple of years. But the truth of the matter is, I'm, I'm really kind of okay with this. And I think better... Better than I, uh, better than I thought I would. How do you handle getting older? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I know we're not talking about Donald Trump giving documents to the Russians or information, but I'm actually kind of intrigued with this. And so it's my birthday, so we'll we'll be a little self indulgent. Is age just a number? Has it bothered you getting older? Do you think it will bother you getting older? And if you, we have listeners who range in all the age range, if, if you're 25 years old, can you imagine being 50 one day? Can you imagine being 55? Let's talk to Dan in Oak Creek. Dan, you're first on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Thanks for taking the call, Jeff. Hi, Dan. Happy birthday. Thank you, sir. Uh, you know, my dad always said youth, uh, old age and treachery will outdo youth and enthusiasm any day. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not... Uh, quite as seasoned as you, I'm 50, <laughs> right? and I take a look at my 84-year-old mother yep. and go, good Lord, she's trucking right along. <laughs> uh, it doesn't, 80 doesn't seem as old as it used to, uh, you know, so yeah. It, yeah, it's, a, it's a number. Yeah. Uh, did, did you have, a, did you have, so did you turn 50 this year? Uh, I'll be 51 next month. Okay, so, so you, yeah. right, okay, did you have trouble with 50, or was, nope, nope, yeah. nope. It, yeah. It, 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 like you said, it's a number. I, you know, I'm older, older and wiser, and still able to do all the stuff I want to do. Right. Now that's that's exactly. I think I, I will tell you. I mean, um, this is. I, I am 
kind of taking stock of, of my life as I get a little bit older, and I'm saying, okay, I, I'm not. One of the things I have decided is I'm not. I'm now at the point where if there's stuff that I want to do, I, I'm not going to delay stuff for a couple of years. If there's things that feel right to me and that I want to do it and it feels like it's the time, I, I'm not planning on delaying a year or two or three years or whatever. It's kind of like, okay, th- this is it. You know, we're going to, and I'm not saying I haven't lived life. I, I certainly have had a wonderful life. But it, it's kind of like, okay, I, I'm now at the stage. We're not going to do stupid, impulsive things. That's not my nature. But, yeah, it's kind of like, okay, it's it's time to do this. Let's see. Uh, Greg writes, my wife's rule is that old is 20 years older than you are, no matter what the age is. <laughs> see, I get that. I understand. Um, let's talk to Mary in Pewaukee. Mary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Good morning, Jeff. And Hi. happy birthday Thank to you. you. Thank you very much. Be assured it's only a number. Okay. In the <laughs> last couple of years, my husband died. Uh-huh. My Down syndrome daughter died, and while she was actively dying, I was diagnosed with two forms of lymphoma. Mm. And you know what? I just got to celebrate a third birthday Mm -hmm. since those things happened. Right. And you know, and it's a big one. (laughs) I'm almost 20 past you. Okay. (laughs) But not quite. Okay. Um, And you know what? It's the, it, what's funny is that the mind, my mind at least, is more like 38 than 78. Right. Oh, right. So, you know, it, it does go by in, in just, it, and I, it just, it does go by in the blink of an eye. You sit there and you think, okay, well, I, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't believe you're, you're the, kind of this season, but it, it, it is. No, um, well, it sounds like you've, you sounds like you're dealing with a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff in your life, and sounds like you're dealing dealing with it pretty well, Mary. I'm trying. Yeah, I understand. Being positive. I understand. Well, um, hang in there. Hope you hit that other zero year birthday pretty soon. Um, uh, it's just it it, it is. I because everybody has been asking me in the lead up to this. Okay, how how are you feeling about this? You know, and I kind of said, no, I'm I'm in. I'm in a really good place. I mean, that's, you know, and you, you look back and you, you sit there and you, you think about, like, like friends and people close to you who aren't with us anymore. But at the same time, you're like, okay, you know, this is, it's, it's just, it's a good day pretty much every day. Marilyn in Waterford. Hi, Marilyn. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, it's just a matter of mind. Okay. Uh, we go out to Arizona. And people say, why do you want to spend time out there with all those old people? <laughs> they are younger than I am, and they're in their 80s and 90s. Uh-huh. <laughs> we have baseball teams, and you'll read in the newspaper, this man was 89 years old, and he hit a home run. Right. You see people walking every day, jogging. They have bicycle groups. They play tennis. I mean, it's just, I go there to get inspired. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just a matter of mind. My mother lived to 94, and she never slowed down a minute. Yeah. And yeah. My, I'll leave you with my dad's favorite saying, you got to do what you can today, because tomorrow might be a dull day. Yeah, I see, I love that. That that That's actually absolutely right. No, thanks. Now, the, the one thing is you get a little bit older, um, especially if you've been fortunate in your life to, you know, be, be in a position where you can kind of concentrate on, on, you know, I mean, look, I understand there's some people you, who, who just can't retire or, or whatever, but if you're fortunate enough to be able to say, I want to start to do things I, I like or really kind of take stock of things. or I, These are these are the books that I've always wanted to read, you know, and now I'm, I'm going to do that kind of stuff. 
and if you're fortunate enough to be able to do that, that's really um, that that's a that's a blessing. Scott in Milwaukee. Scott, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Scott. Okay, Hello. let's. Oh, hi, Scott. Go ahead. Hey, yeah. Um, I just want to say that I'm turning sixty next month, and you're going to be an old man. You're going to be an old I man, am. huh? <laughs> I feel great. You know, I, I take a time to uh, exercise, and, yeah. and I'm doing more stretching now than things like weightlifting. And I'm eating better. I'm eating smaller portions. Yeah. So my weight's under control. So I've, I've got the energy. I feel great, and it's not been a hindrance. It's just been a number. Although you know, like you say, you got friends that yeah. maybe haven't taken as good a care of themselves, or for one reason or another, things happen. Well, but, I do. Th- uh, I see. I think you're onto something because I do think uh, my 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 grandfather died. Gosh, um, when I was like ten years old, he died. I want to say like um, he he died at uh, at the age of sixty five. And but but he was he was a heavy smoker. I, I do think people are more conscious of these type of things. You know, you know, in general, you know, we, we try to we all try to live healthier. Now, sometimes, at least in my case, I fail at that sometimes. But at least, you know, we're mindful of trying to live healthier. And because, you know, we I, I, I want to be like a couple of ladies that called up. I want to be, you know, 25 years from now still hitting golf balls somewhere. <laughs> you know, that's what I want to be doing. Yeah, it helps to stretch. You know, that's the biggest thing I've learned over the last couple of years is to spend more time stretching and staying active. Uh-huh. And you know, I even do a little bit of running and ellipticals. I don't want to do the things that are going to hurt my knees or my back. But right. staying active is real important. Um, at, at that, yeah, well, at that, I mean, and, and I think, I mean, active, physically active, mentally active, engaged, hanging out with your friends. I mean, that's what I think makes age just just absolutely absolutely a number. And you know, that that I I think that's part of the key and it's you know, it's kind of enjoying where you are in life. Bob in Neshota. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hello. How's Jeff today? Jeff is just fine. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I, Jeff's had a piece of birthday cake, so I'm all wired up on sugar too. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> Thanks. I didn't catch that part of it. Anyway, I'm 77. I feel like I'm in my 30s or maybe 40s or 50s. (laughs) Anyway, uh, 13 years ago, I was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, and I talked to my doctor, and he says, you probably got a good 10% chance to live. And today, if you've seen me, you wouldn't believe I'm 77 the way I fly around. Wow. And anyway, I think the big thing is when you got a second chance at life, you realize how precious it is. Right. Right. You know, and so you don't waste a day. Yeah, not a day. I'm up in the morning. I I work at a couple antique malls and and right. I have a ball and and uh, I'm happily married for 55 years and I want to go another 55. <laughs> that that Bob that that is outstanding and you 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 are an inspiration. There, there, I mean that I mean that sincerely. So it's yeah I'm I'm okay. I I don't know why people say why did you take 30 bed? I don't know. I. It, it was weird. Like back when I worked, I was working in the U.S. Attorney's Office at the time, and they had this rule that the FBI had. A, I don't know if they have it now, but the rule was you can't. They, they weren't taking FBI agents above the age of thirty because the mandatory retirement age was like fifty-five, and you had to be able to get your twenty-five years in or something like that. And I never wanted to be an FBI agent, but there was something that bothered me about the fact that I couldn't be an FBI agent. Well. Okay, I I also accept the fact that I'm not going to be president of the United States and I'm not going to be the leader of a rock and roll band. And you know what? I'm cool with all that. It's 1148. This is Jeff.
It's 11.52, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. Thanks for all the birthday wishes. Our text line's exploding. Everybody's saying, drink responsibly. I always drink responsibly. Almost always. But I will drink responsibly tonight. Um, I, I, I absolutely promise because that alarm's going, regardless of whether I do or I don't, that alarm goes off at 5.15 in the morning, and I will be back here tomorrow morning. We will do it all again. Um, Lawrence Tribe. Who's he's about seventy five years old. He is a constitution. He's an attorney who specializes in constitutional law. Um, he, he's at Harvard. He shows up on some of the talking head shows. Hey, I actually think he wrote my textbook. You know, this this is how far back it goes. Um, when I was taking constitutional law in law school, he's out with a uh, piece in the Washington Post um, calling for Congress to launch an impeachment investigation um, of President Donald Trump. And and I read this stuff and just heavy sigh. I get that people don't like Donald Trump. I get that people don't like his policies. I understand why people find him to be off-putting. But all this conversation about impeachment, I think, is absolutely ridiculous. And and once again, it, it... we take our eyes off the prize. The mainstream media has decided that they're going after Trump. Lord knows Trump gives them plenty of ammunition to do it. But, you know, people who should know better saying things like, we're going to start impeachment inquiries and things like that. Look, elections have consequences. He won the election. And if it turns out that there's evidence of criminal activity on his part or something, well, well, that's fine. But right now, I mean, really, Congress launching impeachment investigations, this is put on your tinfoil hat type of stuff, and it distracts us from the real problems. Now, having said that, when President Trump meets with the Russians, I think he would be better advised to be more careful on what information he shares. And Lord knows he should probably stay off the Twitter. But impeachment, give me a break.